20 minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned in to our Shop Stewards Corner here on Metro FM Talk. And uh, as always, we love to hear from you. Do share with us some of your own experiences on uh, our WhatsApp line on 079-191-4270. 079-191-4270. We're also out on our studio line on 089-110-3377. Because yes, uh, many of you might have your own thoughts on what we're going to be talking about tonight. And that is uh, the challenges and the travails faced by many food couriers across uh, the length and breadth of uh, the city and uh, an army of riders ferrying food around uh, many of our cities in South Africa and uh, their lives, travails and even concerns relatively invisible to many of us who are on the receiving end on our doorsteps of uh, uh, their deliveries. And uh, my next guest, photojournalist James Otway, spent several months uh, documenting visually many of the experiences of these food couriers. He joins me now on the line to talk about uh, the outcome of that, a photo essay in today's Guardian. Uh, James, good evening to you and welcome. Hi, Ayubogna. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much for coming through. James, maybe just talk to us firstly here because, you know, I guess uh, what is of interest to us here, you know, this is a segment we do in the lives of working people. Um, and, uh, you know, wanted to talk about this because in many ways, as you say in this piece, the experiences of food couriers in the city of Johannesburg are often deemed or rendered invisible. Uh, and your job here was to effectively shine a spotlight on their lives. So let's maybe talk about, I guess, the spotlight you've uh, shone here. Uh, and more importantly, I guess, your choice of subject, uh, which were many of the people, many of them immigrants, uh, who are working in this sector. So just a brief description of, you know, who you were, lives you were trying to shine a spotlight on here uh, and why it was so important to you. Yeah, okay, Ayabonga. Um, so, you know, working as a journalist in, in Johannesburg, I, I spent uh, most of last year, you know, traveling around quite a bit, even during uh, level five lockdown and then subsequent lockdowns um, because, you know, as a journalist, I had a permit to travel around. And what I noticed is I started seeing more and more, um, you know, riders on, on the road. Mm. Um, and it, it just started to add up in my head that, okay, hold on, so restaurants are closed for sitting patrons. So that means more people are, are actually probably ordering this, this thing. So I did some research and I actually met up with a couple of researchers working at University at the Southern Center for Inequality Studies, and um, and we we discussed this phenomenon, and, and they had actually been been doing some research on 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 these particular workers um, being the delivery drivers, mm. um, and so, so yeah, and, and that's how the project began. Uh, I then started making contact with um, riders from different um, platforms. There's there's various different ones. The most popular one is obviously Uber Eats. But there's many others. There's Mr. D. Um, there's a, a relatively new one called Bolt Food. And as I started to getting to know some of the people, I, um, you know, it became apparent that many of the riders were actually migrants um, from countries like Zimbabwe and Uganda and the Congo and, and those places, Malawi as well. And it also became um, apparent that, you know, this being quite a new, well, a relatively new form of work. Um, it was pretty much un unregulated uh, in terms of, you know, South African labor laws. Um, it, there were so many interesting things that were popping up, you know, like um, the fact that 
the way that, you know, the, the apps that they work for, you know, they're driven by algorithms. Mm. So, so there's a whole, like, gig economy, what they call a gig e- economy that drives this industry. And it, it's very good in some ways that it was providing yeah. uh, many people with work during a time when a lot of people lost their jobs. So many mm. of these tr- um, riders, um, you know, used to work as waiters and, and waitresses and that kind of thing in the restaurant industry. Mm. And um, many restaurants closed and, and, and other industries as well. So this was a, 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 a more readily available way to access some work. You know, sure. you, all, all you need is a, a motorcycle. So, yeah, quite a lot of very interesting things started to pop up when I started working on the story. Mm. And, and maybe let's talk about these themes, I guess, in, you know, in succession, because I want us to first talk about uh, the organization of the work process here. I mean, m- many people who know a lot more about this than I do have often spoken about e-commerce type or on-demand, you know, platform type businesses as one part platform, the other part payments, and then the other, of course, the critical last mile to your doorstep, which is the logistics mm-hmm. element of it. And in many ways, you know, uh, the people we're talking about here play a critical part of that. They are the backbone of uh, these models because they, they ensure that the food is able to leave the vendor and go straight to you in your home. But you speak about this algorithmic management of the work process. Talk to me about that and I guess uh, the implication that that has, one, on the number and volume of trips that people have to take, and more importantly, I guess, some of the safety and uh, occupational health and injury-related issues uh, that you came across here. Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's so many things to talk about on that. Um, you know, I think one of the, you know, the, the main sort of messages that I was getting from the, the riders that I spoke to was this fact that you're almost working for um, a, a robot in, in, in essence, um, you know, if something goes wrong, you can't just pick up your phone and phone a human being and, and explain it. And this is quite evident, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, sort of um, complaints. So, so what would happen if a, if a rider gets a poor rating? You know, when you get a delivery, you can rate the service, you know, in stars or whatever, five stars, four stars, what, whatever. So if the food is, is late, then the, the client will often give a poor um, score so that that person will that that rider will get maybe one star or zero um, or or a complaint. So um, with some of the platforms, if you get three poor ratings, then you get bumped off of the app. So then you are it, it's almost like a punitive action. So you get bumped off of that so that you can't work for and it could be anywhere from 48 hours up to several weeks depending on your history. So you can't work and and. And you know this has a well. This is a problem because sometimes it's not actually the um, rider's fault that the food is delayed, because it could be a fact like uh, perhaps the uh, the fast food restaurant has has run out of buns um, for their burgers, or it could be um, you know it's raining or there's a massive traffic accident in a roadblock or something like that. So these are things that are out of out of the control of the rider, but they're still being punished for it. So they are not able to appeal um, to a person. So apparently there is a process that you, you know, almost like a digital chat bot kind of um, thing on the app. And, and you can sort of put your case in there, but it, it takes, it takes um, you know, days uh, to, to be resolved if it is. And uh, in that time, you've already lost out on several days' work. 
So that that kind of thing was very prevalent. You know, many of the riders I spoke to didn't really like the fact that they worked for um, a, a robot. And the the other thing is that the algorithms that actually you know control who gets what order they are also not transparent. So these are seen as trade secrets by the companies, mm. you know, um, and 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 they're not transparent. So no one can find out why. You know, driver A gets an order and driver B doesn't get an order. Um, so there's all these you know, strange formulas that work this out that are not transparent at all. Yeah. But then there's also, I guess, the, the, the whole sort of price and wage determination story, which is done also unilaterally on these platforms. I mean, you know, the cost per delivery can change at the whim of the algorithm or the platform itself without any you know, dialogue or engagement with the people whose payoffs will be affected by this, as is expected, I guess, in any conception or notion of decent work. Exactly. Um, and, and this has led to the biggest problems. Um, and, and that is, um, you know, exactly as you said, the, the, the platform will change the terms. Um, you could say they'll change, change the terms of the agreement without any consultation, you know, process with the the drivers who are seen or, or you know, as in, in the case of, of Uber Eats, at least, they are um, called partners. So they're, they're not called employees, mm. which is quite interesting. Um, so, you know, if, if you're in a partnership with someone in a business, you can't just unilaterally do something like change the amount of money someone gets without any consultation process. Um, so this is happening, and, and this has happened quite a lot when it comes to um, you know the the apps changing the um, amount of like the per kilometer amount that that riders earn, and um, and not factoring into account the increase in petrol. So there was a big thing towards the end of last year where um, the you know the the riders all realised that suddenly their the money that they're earning has been dramatically cut, and this was because the algorithm had changed and it had changed the the formula and and it had affected the actual uh, amount that these guys were earning and they didn't really no one explained to them why this was happening or or how it was determined it was just suddenly there was it was hitting them in their pocket and that actually sparked um, some strike action um you know which ultimately mm. wasn't very successful yeah, and I mean, I, we certainly have a recollection on this platform of having spoken to uh, some of the people you, you spoke to uh, in your work. I mean, Dwayne Barnard, uh, during the moments of the strike, uh, was uh, very generous in sharing his time with us here so that many of our listeners could better understand uh, what was happening here. The other element I'm interested in, you know, James, and what you've seen here, I mean, if I get injured in the workplace, there's always the expectation that there will be some form of, you know, a workman's compensation or, you know, some form of occupational uh, health and safety and some provisions if I'm ever to be injured or even to fatally, you know, pass on uh, uh, in the workplace. And yet I can assure you, I mean, just like you did, I've seen many an accident uh, mm -hmm. of uh, uh, many of these riders uh, in the streets of Johannesburg um, and, and the concern and the alarm that comes with that. Of course, in many instances, not their fault or, or not of their own doing. Um, it seems here there's some regulatory arbitrage, not just in terms of the partnership slash employment story, but also in terms of the costs of managing the downside risks associated with doing this type of work. 
Definitely. Um, you know, this is something that, that really stood out um, during the course of, of the story as well. So um, um, let's take uh, Uber Eats, for example, because they are the, the biggest sort of food delivery app. Um, so so they, they do have a insurance policy, um, you know, that, that is available for, for riders should they be in an accident and should they be killed. And... Um, my understanding is that there's an amount of around 200,000 rand that is, is available um, to them uh, if, if they should be killed. But it is not, it's not very easy to claim this. And in fact, during the whole course of the story that I did, and I spoke to you know, over 50 drivers uh, in different parts of Joburg, not one person knew of, of anyone that had ever claimed anything from this insurance policy. Um, and 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 they in fact said that you know if they are involved in accidents they prefer not to report the accident even because there again they immediately get bumped off of the app so um, so that you know even if it's a minor accident for example um, just a small fender bender where no one's injured if they report that then they immediately get bumped off the system um, and it takes then weeks uh, you know sometimes longer to to get back onto the system. So they choose not to report it and they choose not to claim using the, the Uber um, sort of, you know, facilities that are available to them. Um, and this is because it's seen as too, um, you know, not, you know, too, too difficult to do. And, and, and they, the, the drivers don't have faith in the system. Um, that they also cited strange kind of clauses in that you're only covered... Um, the minute you pick up the food to the minute you drop off the food and not in between. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very com- complex kind of situation, but there's no um, faith in, in that system and it's not utilized, um, you know, by anyone that I had met during the course of the story. The other thing that is really important is that Uber do not provide protective gear to any of the, the, the riders that work for them. And, and this is the same with most of the other um, apps, as far as I understand. Um, and to me, this is like this is really um, a serious thing because, you know, with the number of accidents that are happening on the roads out there, especially now, look at all this rain. You know, we, we all know that people in Joburg seem to not be able to drive rationally when it starts raining. Um, and and these guys have to provide their own equipment now. Proper jackets and vests and knee pads and arm pads. You get jackets that have neck protection as well. These all cost a lot of money, uh, up to three thousand rand, if not more, just for basic protective gear. And and these riders have to buy this themselves, um, which is quite a tall order if they're earning a relatively low amount of money. They they are going to skimp on it, and. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, it's like you know, you you would never think of sending a, a mine worker down a you know down a shaft without providing them with protective gear. And to me, there should be some sort of arrangement, um, you know, with these riders around protective gear. No, definitely, definitely, um, and and I think that you know that's that is the main, if not, I guess the the key concern here, which is that you know it seems so much of all of the risk even the risk right up to the level of the vehicle, I mean, the maintenance of the vehicle, petrol, um, all of that in these type of platform models has seemingly been 
you know, uh, uh, offshored to de-risk the model, one would think, or even, I guess, to, to set the scene for ultra-profits, has been sort of shifted down the chain to some of the people who are the poorest in the chain, who need the jobs and the money the most, um, and, you know, really is an, effectively an exploitative relation. But maybe just the last one, James, as we, as we wrap up. I mean, in your piece, you also talk about this as a, as a global struggle in a way. Um, and as a struggle that is, I guess, happening in many parts of the world, uh, which, of course, does give, I guess, some, um, you know, some uh, hope that uh, all of these issues we're speaking about, be it the regulatory issues, the safety issues, issues around the reorganization of work can be contested. They're not just, you know, immutable things that can't be changed. What do you make, I guess, of, um, you know, the pace of those struggles and whether or not they are mounting an effective global response to what we're seeing here? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been there's cases in uh, New York where um, you know drivers have got together in collectives and you know they've organised somewhat, um, and they've been able to get you know if in, in the case of New York, they um, they've um, protested against their work conditions and they've got the uh, council to do small things like you know, put, put um, you know, toilets for them around the city because, you know, I think in, in, in New York it's mainly bicycles, uh, like the drivers are on bicycles and that, and there's no real um, uh, ablution facilities for them. So, you know, there's things like that. There's also more, um, you know, more kind of serious, um, smaller victories that are that are happening. But I think it's just building momentum because, as I said earlier, this is a relatively new form of work and, um and, and COVID has uh, led to the sector growing exponentially around the world because of, you know, lockdowns and people don't want to, people don't feel safe going to restaurants as much. So it's growing exponentially. So I think it's only a matter of time until, you know, we in South Africa, you know, um, you know, get up to that, um, to that level. And, you know, as, as, as we, we have a famous history of, of, organizing workers in, in this country and you know trade unions are very important in you know the struggle against apartheid so it would be interesting to see whether you know the the uber delivery riders um, choose to to organize um, because in, into into unions because that's the only real way that they can protect themselves and at the moment they have a they do have a a, a, a strong sense of solidarity amongst one mm-hmm. another. And that was one of the most poignant parts of working sure. on the story for me is that every driver I spoke to said that if they see another rider stuck by the, the side of the road, they stop and they check on him. Are you okay? Mm. Can I take your order? Do you need more petrol? If there's an accident scene, they all um, stop to support and to help, uh, even as far as to helping hold, you know, helping the paramedics. And, um, and, and even if they're victims of crime, you know, a message goes out on a WhatsApp group. And they all come together. So there is a strong sense of solidarity. So I think it's only a matter of time until they realize that, you know, perhaps the solidarity is, is the one thing that they have to give them power to actually maybe equalize the, the work relationship with, with these big apps that, um, that they work for. Yeah, yeah, indeed. James, thank you very much for generously sharing of your time with us tonight. Uh, and for the great piece of work that you've uh, put out here and also to your colleague, journalist Stefan Wolfstarter, uh, for the uh, fascinating photo essay in today's Guardian. Uh, and uh, we'll certainly encourage many of our listeners to go and check that one out. But uh, thank you very much for your time.
Thank you, Ayabonga. James, uh, James Otway is a photojournalist uh, joining us this evening for our Shop Stewards